This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 246. Hey everyone, before we get into this podcast interview with Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson, I just wanted to let you know that my book is out. Yay! I'm so excited. It is up on Amazon, the ebook and the paperback, and hopefully the hardcover will be up there within a day or so. I would love to have you go check it out. It's called Love Your Veterinary Life, and that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to feel better, do better, and hopefully this book will give you the tools to help you get started down that road to feeling better about being a veterinarian or working in veterinary medicine. You don't have to be a vet to enjoy this book. Anybody can get some useful information out of it, but I would love to have you check it out. It's called Love Your Veterinary Life. It's on Amazon, and if you love it, please leave me a review. If you don't love it, don't leave me a review. It's been a labor of love for me. It's been a long slog, and I just couldn't be more proud of myself uh, for getting this thing out there. So I'm just excited. I want to share it with you. So please go check it out on Amazon. If you can't find it or you're having trouble, just send me an email and I will help you out. So please go check it out. I'm excited to hear what you think. Also, I will be at the Michigan Veterinary Conference this week. I'm speaking on Sunday with my friend Sue Sales, who you've heard on the podcast with me before. And I will be there all weekend um, at the MVMA table area. That's usually where I kind of hang out with the MVMA staff. And um, I'll be there. So say hi. Um, come get a copy of my book. I'm going to have a few copies there. Um, it just came out, so for some reason I don't have all the printed copies yet, um, but I will have a few copies there, so I can sell it to you there. You can sign up for free coaching while you're at the conference. I can even coach you there. I've done that before, so if you want to get coached on the fly, we can find a place to go and do that as well. So come see me at the Michigan Veterinarian Conference. It's in Novi this year. If you aren't already signed up, I'm sure you can sign up last minute. And um, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, enough of this. <laughs> Let's get into this podcast with Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson. She's great. And her puppy's on the podcast too. So have a good time listening to this interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest for you. I'm super excited. Her name is Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson. She is a veterinarian, an inspiring speaker, an author, and the founder of One Life Connected. And um, I saw her years ago speaking, but I met up with her recently at my Power of 10 group, and we had a really good couple of days. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about all the things that you taught me when we were at Power <laughs> of 10. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we had a good meeting. Yeah. And you've got, you're doing some great stuff too. And we really, we really mesh in so many ways. So yeah, yeah, we have a little bit similar missions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always ask everyone on the podcast to tell me their veterinary story and you can start wherever you want and just tell me how you got into this business and all of that. All that good stuff. Yeah. Mine's really unique. I mean, I'm sure everybody's is, but it's really weird because I've gone through so many different stages in my veterinary, yes. as you know, 
I did not know I wanted to become a veterinarian until my sophomore year in college. I actually was a business major and I was studying HR, uh, human resources, and I was thinking I was going to go into that. And then I really liked my science classes and the business classes were boring. So I realized <laughs> that I wanted to do something around science instead. And I ended up taking in doing a biology degree. And when I did that, I realized, you know, I like medicine. I don't think I'm just going to stop at biology. I think I'll move on and either get a master's or a PhD, or maybe I'll do a doctorate. So I was looking at, do I want to do human? Do I want to do veterinarian? And back then, this was in the 1990s, it was easier to get into med school than it was vet school. So I I took the more challenging at the time, but <laughs> yeah, but I, but I don't regret it. I mean, I, probably the main reason why I picked vet med over human med, although I loved animals was I just couldn't deal with human feces and just the idea that it was too close to home. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, having like vomit yeah. on you from yeah. a human is different yeah. than having vomit from a dog. <laughs> correct. Correct. And so I, I had to do a little bit of catch up in the sense that most people decide they want to become a vet from like, you know, seven years old and they have all this stuff set up. Therefore, my first year, I actually didn't get in when I applied. And then the second year, I did get in. So I went to UC Davis and I was there for four years. I lived in Northern California at the time. I went to Cal State Hayward or now called Cal State East Bay, I think, for my undergrad, lived in the Bay Area. And then it just made sense to go to Davis, even though I did apply to other schools. Uh, Davis was the one of the only ones on the West Coast at that point in time. And I was going in thinking I was going to maybe do marine mammals because I did some stuff at the Marine Mammal Center. I did, I did a lot of research in microbiology. I worked in microbiology with this uh, amazing aquaculture kind of uh, marine biologist, and we were doing research on salmonella in reptiles. Now, I can't share all the information we found because it was a closed study, but we had leftover materials. So I took the materials and we did a pseudo study on salmonella in marine mammals. Cause I did work at the marine mammal center in Sausalito and I, we found it um, quite abundantly. And I was going to do, I was going to publish the paper, but it just, since I got into vet school, things got too busy. It was just too much work. So I never ended up publishing the work, which is a shame because it was pretty good information to get out there. But I was thinking I was going to go into marine mammals after that experience and being involved with the reptile work and all that. And when I got into vet school, I kind of didn't like zoo med. Now I'm not against zoo medicine. Like I love, I have great friends who are in zoo medicine, great friends who are exotic vets, but I was kind of scared of touching a bird because they always die when you touch it. <laughs> no, I have a bird. I have a bird. I had That's a bird. That's funny because I, I did birds for years and it, it's true. Sometimes it's, they die. <laughs> so scary. Well, and I did work with, a, before I went to vet school, I worked with a bird guy. So I'd done a lot of work with, I work at the zoo. I worked at the Marine Mammal Center. I worked with a bird guy who did shows like with SeaWorld and all these things. Nice. And um, I even got to work with the the shoebill stork, you know, one of the really rare birds. They're so cool. Yeah. yeah. They're so cool. He unfortunately passed away, but you know, I was working with him because he got, he got hurt, but I, I liked it. You know what I mean? But then I was like, I don't want to work on birds, even though I got, right. a, I have a cockatoo. And that's part of the zoo thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the issues I saw in zoos, I found because of captivity and you can't really resolve it. 
And when I looked at doing environmental work, I got overwhelmed. So I did a lot of extra classes in ecology because I pretty much was ready to go to vet school after three years. And the only reason why I had to finish that last year of undergrad was to get my physics under belt. I didn't need anything else. So I was taking all these ecology classes just in case I didn't get in again, you know, I didn't get in and then I would have something to lean back on. Right. That year I didn't, I had off basically because I didn't get in that first year. I did TA in a biology class. I was doing a lot of things around the microbiology research. And so I was opening my doors to see what it was like. And when I got into vet school, I realized that I just don't think environmental work and Zoom ed would be sustainable for me. I just didn't feel like I like it and I will support it, but I'm not the person for it. Your thing. Right. I had been a competitive uh, equestrian. So I rode horses competitively through high school and I did a little bit in undergrad, but not much just because it was, I had a lot going on during undergrad, but I really liked horses. So I went the equine path and I was hardcore equine. I was one of only seven students in the class that just did equine. And I did colic team, full team, like anything I could do. I loved colic team and full team and all that in school. Cause I, I'm so jealous of you. When I was a kid, I wanted to ride horses so badly and my parents couldn't afford it. And so like, I never got to have a horse. I never, I I mean, I got to ride a little bit here and there. And I worked at the racetrack when I was in high school. I loved being around the horses. So. Yeah, no, it is expensive. And the only reason why I got to ride the way I did was it was a little bit of a trick. So we were, I lived in Kentucky for three years, got involved around horses, obviously that while we were there, my parents went to the Kentucky Derby before all the racing went kind of down the tubes and, you know, and how they're kind of treating that space now it's getting a little tougher for racing. Yeah. Yeah, But, but so we were very involved with horses but my dad's like, I can never afford it, never afford it, never afford it. But then he's like, you know, I got this opportunity to get this great job and, and we moved and he's like, I want to live in this area, but you're going to have to change high schools. And I was freshman. And so I was going to change high schools. And I <laughs> said, so no, <laughs> if, if you're going to make me change high schools and you're going to go to this new area, I want to get a horse. And yeah, he's like, that's awesome. Okay. And so it was a little bit of little blackmail going on. He's just thinking, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like seven, eight hundred dollars a month back in the eighties. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm like, we can afford it. It's fine. (laughs) It's just like, you promise. And my mom was like, you promised her that. You made me change high schools. Maybe change high schools. And I actually did independent PE in high school and I rode competitively. So, I mean, I was all in, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So anyway, so I wanted to go into equine and I liked it and I did. So I focused on that, did a lot of extra classes during the summer to still expose me to small animals. So I did ophthalmology, I did cardiology, I did different things, pathology, things that would expand. I did do a large animal rotation to look at cows and understand them. And I knew I did not want to do anything with cows. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and I knew I didn't want to go into racing. I wanted to do more of the backyard kind of pets. maybe you know, right. yeah, maybe pets, maybe some workhorses, but more like the show ring, not so much the 
um, competitive, like hardcore competitive ring. Right. Like what I did, you know, for fun show, not like Grand Prix level, hundred Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, Not that kind of level. I wouldn't want to touch them. (laughs) No, I didn't want to touch them. And I'll tell you what, my liability insurance was an equine vet was 20 times more expensive. Higher than small animals. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I, so I did that. And then I went and did hardcore equine all the way into an internship. I did an internship at a full service hospital that had both a board certified surgeon and medical internist. And I lived on the grounds of the facility and my shift was Friday morning to Wednesday morning. So that was my shift from Friday to Wednesday. And I was on call. I had my own truck. I mean, it was like I ran my own business. And so I really got involved with a lot. lot I did a lot of anesthesia, a lot of anesthesia. Um, That's mostly what I did overnights was anesthesia for the emergencies. So I got a lot of experience. When I finished that internship, I was applying to extra or for a job. And I pretty much had a choice of four jobs and where to go. And I ended up going back to Northern California at a full service hospital again, And I worked with surgeons and all that. Unfortunately, I started having some health issues. Um, You know, it's hard on your body to begin with. Yes. But I was having more than normal. I have airless downloads. So I think I've talked about it. So it's a connective tissue disorder. And so I was dislocating all the time and subluxation. Yeah, it was painful. So I decided I just don't, I didn't know I had that, but I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be sustainable in equine work as much as I would love to. I just don't think this is sustainable. And so I looked for a small animal job and I actually went to work for a large corporate practice at the time. It was like the only corporate practice. So you can pretty much, yeah, there weren't many, right? Guess who it was in 2000. Yeah. They only had like 200 hospitals and I figured they were going to train me how to be a small animal vet. And then I was going to get a real job. And I ended up staying with that company for almost 11 years. And six of those years, I was in the hospital practicing as a small animal vet, which it wasn't, there was, there was some turmoil that happened when I left large animal to small animal. I actually had to grieve losing large animal. I mean, yeah, talk I, about that. Cause yeah, I, cause I kind of understand that feeling going from, you know, being a hospital owner to not an owner anymore. It's such a big, there's an identity. Yeah. Around, talk about you know. that. What, yeah. like, why are we, why are we like that? Well, we have identities. Um, I just did a, I have a lecture that talks about people who are selling and like, how do you manage that legacy versus identity and wrapped up in your ownership? Right. It is because you have an identity of who you are associated and, and everybody knew me. I didn't change my name professionally right away after I got married. I actually changed it years later professionally when I was in a position where I moved to a new hospital and it made sense. And everyone thought I had just gotten married. I'm like, no, I've been married for years because I was known as Dr. Pope. I'm still known as Dr. Pope. That's what I go by. And um, everybody knew me as the equine Dr. Pope and people worked hard to get me jobs. So I felt like I let a lot of people down, Mm. a lot of very important people to me, people who, you know, supported me, mentored me, opened doors for me. We didn't have the match when I did an internship you had to go and apply and meet the people. And I had so many cheerleaders and I worked my ass off. Yes. But I had so many cheerleaders for me. And so there was this 
identity that I had wrapped up about it. And when I told my boss at the company that I was working at at the time that I was leaving to go into small animal, he cried because he, I mean, that was hard to watch because he saw me as someone who was going to buy into their practice. So you changed his, his future plans changed his future plans and they had to hire almost three vets to replace me because I was, you know, not that good, but I was that like efficient right? Um, from my years of what I went through in my senior year. And then my internship, I just learned how to be really efficient in my job because I had to be, and that was hard. And so I had to forgive myself for not living in that space, but I don't regret that decision by any means. And then the same thing happened when I was practicing for six years in small animal, I got really good. And I was one of their top producing doctors, but I also got really good with clients. And I would have clients who'd move two hours and still come to see me yeah, like before I could get. And I have a severe form of dyslexia. And I think because I talk about emotions, which we'll talk about what I do now, there's a way that I can connect with people so I can connect with clients at a different level. Maybe I don't know all the information, but I always knew I could look it up. Right. Maybe I'm the best surgeon, but I can refer them to somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like you can be you can be a really, really good veterinarian if you have good communication skills yeah. and you're and you're quick on your feet and you don't really have to know that much about vet med, right? <laughs> no, you don't. And and because I was an HR originally, I actually took mm-hmm. interpersonal skill classes and classes around communication because that's what you would do. Right. So I had a background that was different than most. I'm not saying I was better, but th- I was different. Mm-hmm. And I was able to connect very quickly without having to have a lot of communication training because I already had it. Right. Because I didn't go right into vet med. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't taken sense. like right out of high school plunked into college and then you're supposed to know how to college, communication stuff. But my focus was HR, which right. was you'd have communication, Different. not biology, which when I switched, I was a little behind, like I said. So I had to catch up. And yeah. that's what took me probably that extra year to get in because I didn't have a lot of this stuff set up like most people did. Right. Okay, so I I did the same switch. So when I was a small animal, I ended up blowing a clot in my leg. It was superficial. But it definitely, part of my EDS involves my veins and I've had to have multiple surgeries for it, um, not for vanity, but for physical reasons. Right. And I get, I get varicosity and I blew a clot and I needed to have surgery and I was starting to have a lot of issues. So stress was building and I was having hand issues, thumb issues, um, you name it, plantar fasciitis from when I was only like 28, 29. Uh, my arches collapsed and it was all these things. Right. And my doctors, when they went to release me to go back to work, he wouldn't sign the papers. He's like, I'm not going to sign these because you can't do half the things on this paper. And you know, you can't, and you're going to hate me for not signing this, but you need to figure something out because this is not sustainable. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to reinvent myself again. (laughs) so I had to figure out what I was going to do from practicing veterinarian. And now that's a total, so large animal, small animal is hard, right? But moving away from practice and then into something else is only seven years out of vet school. There's a whole new level, as you probably know, feeling inadequate and, and society puts that pressure on us too, because when I tell people 
that I'm a veterinarian and they ask me where I practice and I tell them, oh, I don't practice anymore. And they go, what a shame, what a waste of your education. And I'm like, I want to say some really mean things to them, but I know, <laughs> I know where it's coming from. You know what I mean? Right, right. So there's guilt and shame. Like I talk about shame. There's guilt and shame associated with not practicing. Right. Which I wrote a blog on that. Like I'm, I'm still a veterinarian, even though I don't practice. Yes. And, um, so I, I went into a, a recruiting role actually, cause I wasn't ready to do like a medical director role. I, I needed some time away from practice and doing something different. And I recruited, but it was more like a PR person. So I was kind of like a liaison, just the kissing baby, shaking hands kind of person. You know what I mean? Um, You're being good at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I liked the company at the time. I liked the company and I liked, you know, where I was working and supporting. I did that for about two years and then they dissolved that position and it kind of morphed it into something else. And so I had to reinvent myself again but I went into a medical director role, but then I was ready. Then I was ready to go into that leadership position and support veterinarians, which was a little questionable in the beginning because they're like, well, you can't really do surgeries. I'm like, you're right. I can't do surgery anymore, but my brain still works. And I wasn't a good surgeon anyway. So, you know, I can still, I still know how to do surgery. Yeah. I know how to do it. I just damn not good at doing it, right, right. <laughs> but I can talk and help someone through, but you know, a good medical director and a good leader for a group of veterinarians isn't someone who knows how to do surgery. It's someone who knows how to support and deal with the emotional parts of the job. Right. So my HR kind of came in handy because I was basically an HR. It was meant to be. <laughs> Which was ironic, right? Yeah. So I was in that role for about three years. And I will say that during that time as a middle manager, it's a very stressful job. And that was some of the best times, but actually my lowest time. That's when I was actually suicidal was during those times. And, and the main reason why I got to that suicidal space was I felt trapped because I wasn't really happy with what I'm doing. I mean, I loved mentoring people. I loved developing people, but I had, they had had me take two markets. So instead of just, which is an unreasonable number of people, having 60 direct reports, I had about 130 veterinarians that directly reported to me. So the only time I walked into a hospital was to write someone up or fire them. And that's just not a fun space. No, <laughs> like, no, cause it's all negative. You don't, get to do all anything, negative. you don't get to do anything positive. Yeah. All reactive, no proactive. So, um, I ended up, I got real low. I was in really bad stress. And then, you know, there were some things that were going on, like they were changing the salary and they're having me communicate this to other markets. And it was just, it was really hard. And, um, I found that one of my doctors in my market helped develop her so that she could take over the other market. And then I took, so then I was only down to 60 people, which is still unreasonable amount of people, but actually focus a little bit more proactive stuff, which I loved. Um, but there was a lot of change going on in our company, which in most corporations that happen and the leadership changed and some of the direction changed. And I just didn't really like where things were going. I uh, got pretty disengaged about some things of how they were pushing down some, some, you know, um, I don't want to give all the details away, but I didn't agree with what they're wanting me to do to right. um, hold my people accountable. And I just didn't feel that was good mentorship and development. And so I started to look to see what other opportunities were out there. And I had a great relationship with my Pfizer reps at the time, which are now Zoetis. 
and I saw a job opportunity through Pfizer. So I applied for it. I didn't get that job, but they're like, we have another job opening up in like two months. And we think that you would be perfect for that job. So that was like in April of that year. And I applied for that job in June and I got it, but they weren't going to actually have the job available for like six months. Mm. So I knew I was leaving (laughs) and I was still working and doing my stuff. And then when they finally said, okay, we're ready to go. I made sure I stayed on with my company that I was at until I was able to do my end of year reviews, because I felt like that was the right thing to do and not transfer that over to somebody. So I only had to your people or it was just the moral thing to do. Yeah. I think it was the right thing to do. So I only had a weekend off between the two jobs. I really wanted to take like, you know, a couple of weeks off, but in order to do those reviews, I had to stay on for a certain period in January. And so then I switched over to what was called a regional strategic veterinarian. And, And what I did was I worked with just the specialty hospitals, very large specialty hospitals. And I worked with the specialists. So we're talking oncologists, dermatologists, and, uh, you know, the fancy way, I mean, I guess the down to earth way to say it is I kind of influence the influencers, but you don't really influence vets, let alone a specialist. So it was more like a PR position. Again, I built relationships. I helped provide them resources. And one of the things I learned about being a medical director is rarely did I talk about medicine. Mostly what I talked oh, about was emotion, yeah. right? The emotion yeah. of the job, talking people off the ledge, as you know, right? As a leader in that yeah. position and mentoring people. And I got really good at it. And I got really good at mentoring my colleagues and my, you know, people around me and just being that coach for them. So I've been coaching. I've been a life coach, basically, although not on paper since 2007. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, I didn't realize when I learned about life coaching that it was something that a lot of people do end up doing, especially in a leadership role. I mean, I was like, oh, I do that already. You know, it's, it's a little different, but it's basically the same. The same. It really is. And so I knew that space. And so when I would go into these, especially the hospitals and ask them, what kind of support do you need? And they're like, oh, we want you to do some talks with the interns. I'm like, sure, I can you know, talk to them about finances or preventative care, or whatever, because they were mostly specialists, like, so they're not going to do preventative care. Right. And then um, they started asking me, well, can you talk about like happiness in the job? Because this is before, so this is like 2011, maybe. So it was like 12, 15 years ago. And it, it wasn't as readily talked about. Okay. So we didn't talk about the first, I think the first time I saw you speak was quite, quite a time ago. And it was just some, it was kind of in its infancy speaking about it, at least in vet med. Like I had, I had always studied all the self-help stuff and self-development stuff and leadership stuff, but in vet med, it wasn't a big thing. And I think you were one of the early early people in that space. I mean, I had been talking about it since 2003. So when I would have a new grad come to work with me and I I mentored a lot of people, a lot, I told them right off the bat, you're going to regret becoming a veterinarian like three years in that's normal. And people always call me negative Nelly. I'm like, no, we need to talk. We need to, we need to put this on the table. Like I'm not telling them to go away. I'm saying you're not a bad person that you question why you became a veterinarian and, and, and you're going to bounce as I call it and, and go to the new position because what you did to get to where you're at is not as sustainable 
action. Like you, you work your ass off. You, you, you sacrificed. I worked Friday to Wednesday, you know, up multiple nights and I was willing to do it because I saw the value of what I was doing. But then you realize there's a point where you realize about two to three years in, although it's a lot earlier now, I can't sustain this. Like, this is not, this is not a lifestyle that's sustainable. And you kind of question why you do it. And then you figure out how do I create boundaries? How do I create this? And that's all the things I talk about. And so that's what I started getting asked to do was my very first lecture was happy clients come from happy us and we're struggling right now. And that was kind of like the, the, the gateway, the door, the gateway drug, whatever started on it. And then a lot of people were wanting me to talk about compassion, fatigue, compassion, fatigue, compassion, fatigue. And I felt like we were overusing it. Like that word. Yeah. This is not all. So I got certified and understanding what it was. And I really do understand it. And I, I was right. I really feel we were overusing it. Like there are so many other pieces that show up that have nothing to do with compassion fatigue, primary trauma, for example, that has nothing to do with compassion fatigue, anxiety, um, you know, imposter syndrome, um, just stress in general from being overworked, you know, that's not all compassion fatigue, but there is compassion fatigue that's in there. And, and, and so I got really good at that. And then I became what was called the emotions girl. So, so I worked in L I lived in the Southern California area and I worked in San Diego, LA, Orange County, and Arizona, Phoenix and Tucson. That was my market. A lot of my colleagues had like huge chunks of the U S but because the population is so intense, I mean, I would have these full service, highly busy clinics, like less than a mile from each other. And they're both like full volume because in LA, the, the amount of people is just insane. I so know, my son lives there now and it's crazy out there. Crazy. It's crazy. So, so I didn't really travel as much, but I would get all these requests from my colleagues, my fellow people who are doing the same position in other areas. Like, Hey, I got this event in angel and Boston. Can you come and do a talk? I'm like, sure. I, you know, I'm going to be out there for AV to May. Let's, let's schedule something up. Or I have, um, you know, a talk in Wisconsin. And then, and then before I knew it, I was starting to get requests from like almost the salespeople in the different regions saying, Hey, we know you've got this person that talks about emotions and I have an event. Can, can we have her? And so I recognized, Hey, I think there's a space for this. And this is about 20, 2014, 2015. And then my company was going through kind of a restructuring, which if you work in pharma, every two years, you either hire a bunch of people or let a bunch of people go, or you get bought or you get sold. You know, it's, it's, it's constantly in flux. So it's normal flow. So, I mean, it's not like it was stressful. It's just the normal things that happen. And so they were kind of, kind of getting rid of about 25% of the workforce because they had just combined a bunch of companies and my job was secure. However, I recognized that I probably was going to leave. I just was planning on leaving like in a year or two. And I, so I took the opportunity to leave right then. And I had the company's full support to do what I was going to go do. Like they wanted me to go do it. Cause they're like, we just don't have the space to have you just do that. You know, we're launching some of these really new skin products. I mean, I worked for Zoetta, so you can imagine we had just launched Applequel. We're about to launch Cytopoint. I mean, I literally went to the training meeting for Cytopoint, um, you know, weeks before I left. I love that drug. Yeah. Oh, it's good. They're all great drugs. It's changed and, the world. Yeah. All of them have. And so I'm like, I think I should step out now, give somebody an opportunity to take this position who potentially might not have a job. And then I'll go do what I'm going to do. And 
and, and that was, you know, stressful because, but at the time I wasn't the primary. So going back to when I was suicidal, the reason why yeah, I was going to ask about that, yeah. like, how did that work? Yeah, I don't know how we got off trade it, but the reason why I was felt suicidal is I felt trapped. Mm-hmm. So at the time I was the primary, I was the primary financial support for the family. Mm. I'm not the only, but like I made added stress without sounding horribly derogatory towards my husband. I'm like twice as much as he made. So he could quit and I could still bring in money. Uh, And he pretty much did. He walked away from his job because he didn't like what he's not a vet. He didn't like what was going on and he was doing something totally different. And so he, he, he wasn't really bringing in the money like he used to. So now I was 100% reliant upon my job so if I quit and left we'd have no money to pay our mortgage we have no money to do anything and I felt like I couldn't I couldn't like what am I supposed to do yeah and then and then you know I already wasn't practicing and people were already judging me for that and you know where do you go with this kind of career you know I didn't know about opportunities and then so I I did my bounce and kind of found you know where I wanted to take it and then I and I started filling my balloons again, which I, you know, that's what I talk about. I had stopped filling balloons because I was throwing my whole life into my job. And then I realized that that's not sustainable. And so I did my own bounce like for the second time. So I did the bounce in practice. And then I did a second bounce kind of in leadership. Like, where do I go from here? And when that second time came up where I had the opportunity to start One Life Connected, my husband now was the primary so he could become the primary. Now, granted, I still was making probably twice as much as what he was making. However, he was making enough to where we could lean on him and we don't have kids. So we don't have that expense. I didn't have any, I had all my educational debt and his educational debt had been paid off because this is, you know, a few years, quite a few years, 15 years out of school. And I didn't, I don't have kids, so I didn't have expenses. So I could just throw all my money into my debt. Right. Um, we pretty much the only debt we had was our home, our home in Southern, in Northern California. And, um, so I'm like, I think, you know, and we had already been renting that out. We weren't even living there anymore. Cause I moved to Southern California to do my job. So I'm like, I think we can do this. Like, it'll be tight. I'm going to have to like, you know, we can't just Take go spend money whenever we want to go spend money. We have to think about what we're going to do. Going to Starbucks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not be eating top ramen every day. Like we were in college, right. but we are going to have to be a little bit more, you know, like right now I'm like, Hmm, I want a new light in the kitchen. We would have to think that through as opposed to just right. going down and buying be an an dollar light. You, know? <laughs> you have to look and see if you had any yeah. cash. <laughs> yeah. So, but we were, so when we talked about it, I told them like, I feel like I have been privileged in that I have been given a very good setup to go to college. My dad helped me. I got grants, I got scholarships, and then I still had loans. Yes, but I was able to pay them off because I still got support externally from people who, you know, saw what I was doing that I kind of wanted to give back. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I have been given something really well. I want to create something that helps give back. I'll make money off of it. Yes, but not you know, like what I was making, I I'm okay just to make a meager salary to pay basic bills. And, um, and so we did that. And then during that process, um, my horse got sick. I ended up losing him. And then my car had major issues. And so we had a pretty good savings account that pretty much got wiped out in like four months. (laughs) 
And then now, right during that time when you were trying to switch, right? Yes, yes. Like, as, I, oh, as I switched, maybe this as I wasn't just such a good decision. <laughs> all of the money is gone, and yeah. we started leaning on credit cards. And um, and I had a house that we were renting, but it was upside down, so we were losing money every month on it. So I had to lean a little bit on my family, which they did. They gave me support through that time. And then when we were able to finally sell that house and kind of break even and pull the money out we had put into it, we right-sided ourselves. You know what I mean? It was just, it was right. a bad, it was a bad couple of years. It was a little tight, a little rough, but I don't regret it. And, um, and so, and then I did some other things. Like I, I did some vaccine clinics I did, which I could find, I could do physically because I'd only work for like two hours and it's just vaccines. Right. I'm not doing rectals. I'm not trying to do otoscopic exams. I'm just giving a shot. You know right. what I mean? Right. And I have someone holding the animal. So it was physically, I could do it as, yeah. as opposed to doing other things like getting up and down was the real problem and all that stuff. So, are. yeah. So then I ended up starting One Life Connected in 2015. That was 2015. 2015, October 2015. So my last day at Zoetis was September 30th. My first day starting One Life was October 1st. And, um, and it hit the ground running. So I, I didn't really take a salary much. Um, I pulled some money out of it, you know, here and there, um, to help pay for bills, but it was more just putting money back into the, and then when we lost all our savings, then I had to start taking some money, you know, making money, but majority of what I was making was through speaking and the speaking engagements were just coming. As you said, I was kind of new. Mm-hmm. In this yeah. Space. I saw you. I don't remember what year it was, but I was at a big conference and you were there. That was the yeah. first time that I remember, you know, seeing you and your name and you talking about the one life connected. Yeah. And, and, you know, even the company, when I decided what to name it, I was very intentional to not have it be Dr. Pope coaching, whatever, because I wanted right. it to be something that could be sustainable. Going. Yeah. Right. And then I also wanted it to have purpose in the, in the name. And I believe in sustainability. I believe not just for career, but for life in general and, um, environmentally. That's why I was ecology environmentalist. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I didn't have kids, not that I judge people that do that, but it was just hard for me because I'd gotten so much training environmental and ecology from my biology member in the beginning right. uh, that I was like, I just don't know if I can have kids. I couldn't anyway, so it didn't matter. So it worked out fine, but, um, but I don't judge people who did, but, th- right. but there's a lot of that sustainability that I have. And so and I feel like energy wise, we all connect. And so that's why I feel like we are one life connected. When you think about it, we're all on one earth. We're all in one space. We're all in one everything. And when we stay connected is when we find sustainability. And so there was a, a, a huge intention as to why I picked the name the way I did. And then the reason why it's the number one and not written out one is because that website was taken. So <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> I didn't want to that one. happens. I'm, I'm Sometimes a vet. you have to adjust, right? Yeah, I'm a vet and frugal, so I don't want to pay someone eighteen hundred dollars to have the website one the number, you know, not the number, right? N E life. So right. I changed it to the number, which I actually like because one of the good things about having one is that I become the first on everything. Yes, number yeah. makes me the first listed on everything. Right. Google wow. searches and things like that. Oh, so yeah. did the idea for One Life Connected come from when you were struggling? And mentally, no, it's later. Was it later. as soon as you you were like, I need to do something 
other than the, the drug job and I'm going to get out of this, what am I good at? What do I want to do? Is that how it? It came about because I was already doing lectures on emotions and already talking to the industry. Thing my job. Yeah, that's yeah. what that was getting requests for. Yeah, I talk about alcohol or whatever, but mostly what I would get requests for is, hey, we're doing this conference. Can you talk about sustainability? Can you talk about happiness, engagement? Right. And those are all things I worked at as a medical director. And then I do a lot of extra classes like you, especially with the compassion fatigue certification, you have to take CE courses to stay current. So I take courses on suicide, anxiety, um, you know, habit forming, those types of things. Yeah. So I have exposure and then I take that information and would apply it to vet med. I realized what I went through in my ocean of shame, as I call it, when I was at the bottom of my ocean of shame, really questioning living. Um, I found that out later. You know what I mean? Like I was able to define that later. You were able to pull from your experience of going yeah. through that in yeah. order to create this idea. Yep. Yep. And so I call it your sinkers and your balloons. So the sinkers are what drag you into that space of shame where you feel unworthy of acceptance and belonging. That's what Brene Brown studies have shown that shame makes us feel. And then um, the balloons are what lift us up and keep us from drowning in that ocean. And those are four mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And we all are unique in how we fill our balloons and we're all in unique in how our sinkers show up. And sinkers are, are you know, our own personality traits. You know, being an introvert doesn't make me a bad person. Uh, but being right. an introvert, which I am, if I give all my energy out at lectures and conferences and all of this, and I don't do something to replenish, I'll be less resilient when another sinker comes along. Right. Perfectionist, you know, I, I get perfectionist and paralysis. I do all those things because most, you know, most veterinarians, and I hate to generalize, but in my experience, most veterinarians have similar and not, oh, all, not yeah. all of us are introverts, but a lot of us are, I find more introverts than extroverts, yes. at least in my work. And also the perfectionism. Oh, is absolutely. Huge. And absolutely. I think those two things together sometimes create a lot of the stress and the impact syndrome and all that. I found seven characteristics most veterinary professionals have, and that's not just veterinarians. Also that includes technicians. So, okay. um, perfect. And I've interviewed and worked with thousands of professionals in my career. And I can say that, honestly, when you look at what I've right. done, yep. um, perfectionism, compassionate, analytical, people pleaser, workaholics, introverts, and um, what's the last one? I always forget one of them. Um, I can't remember what it is. But when you look at those and you line them up, people are like, Yes, 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 yes. And those are like great characteristics to get us where we're at. Oh yeah, they get us through, right? They get us right. into vet school, they get us through vet school. Right. But then yeah, then and they fizzle out to care for ourselves, then yes. we're in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like compassionate, for an example. I can't watch any movies where animals die. Period. I I, I what was I watching? Oh, Yellowstone. And they're they shoot people like crazy. Yeah. But the one scene where they had to shoot the horse, I was like, yeah, there was a scene in Yellowstone, like the very beginning, like there's a trailer accident or something and there's horses. And I'm like, nope, that series is not on my list. And no, I, just I don't, I don't like, never watched it again. <laughs> I don't like shooting or guns. I don't like any of that. But then when I went to the DMX, they had um, Cole Hauser as one of the guests and I had never watched Yellowstone and he was really cool. 
So yeah. when I came back from the VMX, I'm like, well, I guess I'm gonna have to watch the show because he's a cool guy and it sounds like a really cool show. And the people at VMX were going crazy for that show. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, all right, I'm guessing I'm gonna watch it. But there's so many guns. I hate yeah. that. I don't and- like it the sensitivity of the guns. Yeah. Like the noise and all that. I agree, but I yeah. watch people be killed all day long. Like I remember watching, um, Will Smith and fourth of that 4th of July independence day, yeah, independence and day. Yeah. They're in the tunnel and the thing, the, the fire's coming down and they're like running to get away from their car. And I'm like, you're, dying. I'm like yelling at the movie. You're dying. <laughs> 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 My husband's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> Get the dog. He doesn't know he's got their dog. <laughs> yeah. I care about all the people that are dying behind the dog. I'm right. like, the dog needs to make it, you know? <laughs> so I'm highly compassionate and I know that. And, and that doesn't make me a bad person. I just, that's part of the understanding the ocean of shame. I just need to be aware of it. So instead of right. going to name, blame, and judge, which is where a lot of us go when we start drowning in that ocean of shame, we go to blame and judgment. That's what Brene Brown really recognizes. Mm-hmm. And it could be internal or external, you know, like, clients are stupid and you can't fix stupid, which we <laughs> say, um, or I'm stupid and I can't fix me. So instead of going to that place, we want to recognize that I'm highly compassionate, embrace it, and then stay connected. So how I embrace it is I don't need to watch those movies. And right. if I do, if I do watch those movies, I need to do something to help replenish myself because I will be, ne- I know I'm going to be negatively affected by it. Right. And- I need to deal with that emotion and there's nothing wrong with me. Right. Um, you know, and it's, 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 it is funny because my husband and I will watch movies together and, you know, if it's humans, he'll cry. And if it's animals, we both cry. Right. But <laughs> he's like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not cold hearted. I just, I just don't, I just don't get it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I disconnect myself, disconnect myself from the humans. I know they're actors. Right. And so I have to work through it. And that's, and I think a lot of us have that. I'm highly analytical. Oh, type A. Type A was the seventh. Type board. A, yes. Type yeah, A. A lot of us are type A, very organized, very structured. And there's a lot of disorganization, a lot of gray in, in vet med, um, which can feel chaotic. You know what I mean? I, I think perfectionists and type A's and things like that, they like to have answers too. Yeah. There's can so we, much uncertainty. You don't always have an answer. Can we pause one minute? Yeah. Uh, He's barking. I need to go take him. Yeah, go for it. I'll just cut this part out. Okay, yeah. Puppies, sorry. I'll go get some more water in my water bottle here. He's barking, so I want to take advantage of that in case. Bring him on the podcast. I will bring him down. Well, good and bad news. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Did he have a poop party and swim in it? No, he had a pee party. Oh. (laughs) That's the worst part about raising puppies and kittens is when they swim in their feces and urine oh I know but he needed to go poo oh and God, he's, he's, got the poo, he's got the poo down so he held it yeah and then he went outside and he did his poo poo outside nice but I gotta clean everything up there now so let me see how cute he is oh my goodness look at you <laughs> he is adorable <laughs> he's my little piglet he's my I little love piglet. the ears the ears always crack me up you know, I couldn't imagine. I'm so glad that she, she took care, you know, she took, she took over his care. She didn't put him down. Yeah. She couldn't do it. She's like, he has a terrible disease. So, you know, well, that's one of the things that always kept me going in vet med is the opportunity to do that. 
like in my practice, it was like, if a litter of kittens came in, like that didn't have their mother, we would raise them. And, you know, if somebody didn't have the money, we'd take it in, not all of them, but the ability to do that, I think was, was one of those balloons, you know, that we could save some. Yeah. Yeah. So so where were we when, when you left? So, um, uh, we were talking about balloons and sinkers and, um, the different things that show up. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just, we'll put this part into the podcast and say we were yeah. on a puppy break. So yeah. we got a little distracted with the puppy. Yeah. yeah. Puppy balloons. Right that here. cute little freaking puppy. What's his name? And, uh, Jack. Jack. And, and sinkers too. Balloons and sinkers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, well, that is one thing is like, he's you both, know. right? He's yeah. usually a balloon, but once in a while a sinker. <laughs> yeah. He's usually a balloon. That's yeah. how dogs are. I let my other dog down here too. So he didn't feel left out. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, for me, when I was doing all these talks, that's what I was getting the request for was the right. emotional talks, dealing with um, engagement, compassion, fatigue, you know, all those things that come a part of the job, but don't necessarily have the resources. Now in today's world, you know, you, you fast forward. I mean, it's been eight years since I started, which is crazy to think started one life connected, not necessarily right. talk about these talks. I've been talking about right. this for 20 years almost. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people and a lot of resources, which I welcome. I welcome. Well, all, I think it's, I it. think it's needed. Um, I, you know, the reason I got different it, angles, different understandings, different stories. I think we all need to hear, you know, different pieces to it. Yeah. Well, that's why I love doing this podcast because I can talk to so many veterinarians that I wouldn't normally know or meet and then get their stories out there because there's obviously, obviously something that you went through that you recovered from and were able to turn it into this beautiful business of helping other people. So I guess before we get this, get towards the end of this podcast, which we're probably getting there soon, um, what would be your primary advice to somebody that was in the place you were in when you were trapped and suicidal? What would you tell them to do? Like if they hear us out there on this podcast and they're like, yeah, I feel exactly like that. What's, what's their next step? I think what I tell everybody, as I've written in the book, as you mentioned, I have a book called the unspoken yes. life, which, unspoken which that is, it's, it's that unspoken life that is part of being a veterinarian and a veterinary professional, really not just a veterinarian is um, just to recognize that you're not broken. Like Mm. you're not, you didn't not try hard enough. You didn't, you're not, not enough. You know what I mean? Like you're not broken, you're normal. You're totally 100% normal. And I think if I had heard someone tell me that, that would have helped me a lot because I thought I just wasn't, I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't enough. Yeah, and it's my fault that I feel this way. Like yeah. I just need to suck it up. Like I'm too emotional. I'm too this. I'm too that. But no, I'm normal. I'm normal. Yeah. Where do you go from there? And so I call it the bounce. So it's just like becoming aware of where you're at and to accept, to recognize that space, and then to embrace that space. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I do know what you mean. Not judge yourself on that space, and then and then to recognize your shame motion. Um, you know, a lot of the resources that I talk about are available on my website. And there's actually a video on there. It's about 15 minutes long that anybody can watch that really kind of talks about the shame motion and kind of the, the steps that help us. And so what I tell people is 
you know, when we started into the veterinary profession, we often had this like North star that helped us tell us which mountains to go over. And we had many mountains to tackle in our career. We had undergrad, we had the internship, like all the things I was talking about. Some of us have residencies and, and whether you're a tech, you know, registered technician, licensed technician, or a veterinarian, we had this kind of like that oath, like we yeah. had, the vet, we followed it and it told us right. we all honored that oath uniquely. Right. So some of us are owners, some of us are specialists, some of us are, you know, life coaches and don't even practice anymore or whatever, but we stop honoring ourselves. So we honor the oath to honor the human bond. We like, we want to, we want to honor the human bond. So it's learning how to honor both the human bond and yourself now. And that's where the path that you want to go. It's not about just being well-being and it's not about just going out and doing yoga self-care. or care. <laughs> yeah. Self-care. That is part of it. Yes, I know. But it's, but it's more about, and that's what I kind of made like the one life connected commitment um, is to, to help say, okay, we have this oath to honor the human bond, but let's also have this oath to basically honor ourselves and, and honoring ourselves doesn't mean, like I said, you know, drink more water, get better sleep and meditate. Right. It's, it's learning to recognize the balloons, the sinkers, the dynamics of where you're at and, and how do you move forward? And, and I, I talk about four key principles in that space. It's, it's being mindful of our response, like knowing where we're at and not just sucking it up. It's uh, creating our environment, recognizing how we create, how we feel and, and where we go with it. And then embracing our emotions and that it's not good or bad emotions, nor is it you know, uncommon for people to feel frustrated or despair at times. And then how do we find self-forgiveness? So those four principles help us walk through to, to know how to honor ourselves as we're in this space. Because Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor, he was a psychiatrist. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. You, you've probably read it. It's behind mm -hmm. me on my shelf. Yep. And it is intense, right? But there's one quote in there in that it says, that which is to give light must endure burning. We give the light that is the human bond and it's not a question of if, but when you're going to burn, right? So right. we recognize that. But he also talks about how, you know, between a stimulus and a response, there's this space. And in that space is our power to choose. And in our cho choice is our growth and freedom. So that's kind of wrapping up many of those four principles in that thought process. Because in order for us to be sustainable, I feel you have to find self-forgiveness. Like that is the foundation to sustainability and vet med is self-forgiveness. Yeah. Well, when you say self-forgiveness, I, I, I think a lot about people in that place of feeling stuck and suicidal. There's this hopelessness and yep. this feeling of not being worthy. And, yep. I, and I like when you said realizing that, you know, I, I'm going to say it in different words because I don't have your um, words, your vernacular, but just knowing that as a human, like everybody has those moments and maybe not everyone gets to that point of being actually suicidal, but mm -hmm. everybody has that brain that can go there and realizing that when you're there, that you're not, there's not, like you said, there's not something wrong with you. It, and you're still worthy and you're still valuable and you're still loved or, you know, what, whatever word you want to use. Yep. And I think that's so important. Yep. 
exactly. Exactly. And the self-forgiveness. So the self-forgiveness comes from, you know, the story I share with people is when I travel, I meet people and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, ah, oh, I speak on well-being. And they're like, oh, that's yeah. great. You know, and then eventually it comes out that I'm a veterinarian, potentially. Um, right. Although I'm a good introvert, I know how to divert <laughs> those conversations. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have to say that word if you don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> but I do. And then they're like, oh, that's so great. You know, you talk about well for the animals. And I have to like educate them that I talk about well-being for the veterinary professional and that suicide and burnout is really high. And they all go, but I thought all oh, vets love what they do. And like this, that space right there. It has so much emotion for me because I like, you know, want to punch them in the throat thinking, well, the reason why we're where we're at is because of that, because you put right. me on this pedestal, this right. like unrealistic martyr status pedestal that I can't live up to. And when right. I don't live up to, I feel horrible. And, and the thing is, is if they didn't put us up on that pedestal, they don't love animals. Right. right? And recognize the value of what we can do. And so it's this beast of burden that we get to carry. And I don't have to argue with them with putting me up on the pedestal. I have to forgive myself for not living up to it. Right. And, wrong and thinking that. that you should be on the pedestal, like believing what they're think, what they're saying, right. be- having that belief right. in yourself. It's like, no, I don't belong there. I don't belong there. They can and believe- I think that's why we can't say, I don't know sometimes because right. we think we're supposed to know everything and we, right. we don't. So that space, and I've learned how to manage that for myself. And so that's, that's big. And, you know, boundaries become a big piece when you're asking what to tell that person. And, and part of the reasons why we don't put those boundaries up when we're dealing with those four principles is because we feel like, you know, when you say yes, you're loving, when you say no, you're mean. So if you say no, and you put boundaries up, that's going to define your commitment to the human bond. And, and that's, don't need my necklace. And that's not true. (laughs) you know what I mean like that's not true and that itself then makes us not want to put boundaries up and we don't want to be mean and because that means we're and there's this this cycle that again brings in the self-forgiveness what do you need to forgive for yourself to say that it's okay to say no right you know I'm gonna put this boundary up that doesn't make you a bad person and it's all of those things that I work with people on and it's very easy and I don't dis on the talks. I've been to the wellness talks and that's kind of why I started doing what I was doing. And they talk about, you know, be active, meditate, um, all these, and they are wonderful things. They're all right. balloons, right? right. Someone meditates is different. You know, so maybe someone dances the hula, maybe someone has prayer, right. maybe someone uh, does running, you know, there's many different ways that you kind of meditate in your own space. But I feel like we don't necessarily talk about the the sinkers and, and helping us not wallow in them, but recognize that we need to see them so we can move through them. Yeah. And, and not be afraid of them so much. Yeah. You're going to have grief. You're going to have stress. You're going to, I mean, that's all like, I, I think why I loved getting into this space so much is because when I started really studying more and more about this kind of stuff that you're talking about, it, it got to the point where I was like, oh, the reason that we can't handle this is not because it's all bad, 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 but it's because nobody ever taught us that this is like this negative emotion is like normal and good and we want to have it and it serves a purpose. Absolutely. And, you know, in school and your parents always wanted you to be happy all the time, but that's not, that's not what you want. You want to learn that okay, when I feel stress, what does it do to my body? 
And then how do I get through it? And how, you know, what tools can I use? And what do, what do I think when stress comes up? And that was what was so fascinating about this to me is like, it's, it's not, it's not like this magic. Well, if you just meditate every day and do yoga, you'll ha- be happy all the time. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not supposed to be happy. It helps, but it's not the all. Exactly. It's a tool, yeah, it's a tool to help break the, you know, the negative cycle if you get into it. And but the tool, yeah, I love that. Yeah. The tool that has worked the best for me. And we've talked about this is I blow bubbles. So I call it take a bubble break. Yeah blow bubbles. That is my way of centering myself, re-centering my concentration, you know, being mindful, being aware, being thoughtful, and then releasing it through the bubble, taking mm-hmm. a deep breath, which is, uh, you know, like a meditative, you know, I'm taking well, and that. Yeah. That is, that and is it's like simple, your body, right? It's easy. I can do it anywhere, anytime, uh, you know, it takes less than a minute and, and, and it's that fun. works for me. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's recognizing, figuring out those things, like what works for you. For me, it's take a bubble break and yeah. I have bubbles up there. You know, I do it. Well, and I think the bubble break, all the time, <laughs> well, the bubble break thing is so cool because you can share that. Like mm-hmm. who would think, you know, like I, I used to pl- plan all these games for my team because that was kind of my way of being like, okay, vet meds hard, but now we're going to have fun. And so I was like always coming up with different games and Easter egg hunts and things like that, but it's the same, it's the same kind of thing, but the bubble break is so easy to share. It is, it is. And you can bring it anywhere. And then the other thing that I use, um, which you had experience with when we were in the event with power of 10 is imagery work. Yes. So I a love lot that. of what I'm talking about is motions, feelings, which don't have language. Oftentimes how we feel doesn't live in our language center. You, right. you think and feel in pictures and imagery, and then you translate it into image, into ver- words, verbal. And so right. I use a lot of imagery work and I do have a workbook that people can download from the website for free. And it gives you an idea of how to use imagery to start looking into these emotions and start talking about them. Um, it's less intimidating too, because you're talking about a picture, but you're really talking about yourself, right? Right, right. And it's just, it's a tool, right? It's a tool to help these conversations to then potentially bubble something up, which you could potentially take into meditation or to your counselor or your therapist, but it's being able to have these conversations as an individual and as a team. I do these with teams. I do these with life coaching individuals that I work with when we come against a barrier, I'm like, okay, okay put five cards in front of you, different images, pick one that answers this question. I'll do a very challenging question yeah. and then pick it. And then they answer it through that picture. And that just helps the springboard, the conversation. It's um, the, the words that you don't yeah. have, or you can't find. Yep. I love yeah. that. So it's okay. a, it's a very complex space, you know? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard, but it's so valuable. And and so I would just encourage everyone that's listening to this. If, if you're at all stressed out, you're at all in that place of feeling trapped, you know, there's so many people in this, this area that can help you and there's no shame in getting help. And so tell them, tell them about your website, what they can get there. Let's, let's get all that out. Yeah. So before we wrap up. Yeah. So the website is, uh, one, the number as we've mentioned, one, the <laughs> number, number one, C So that kind of stands for one life connected community, one life connected commitment, one life connected, you know, whatever you want to make it, but right. it's life CC.com. 
And then the website has a number of resources that are available. Um, it has the take a bubble break information. You can download a lot of brochures, a lot of information about how to utilize this with your team. Uh, questions to ask before, after, during. It also has the um, information about the imagery. So there's a workbook that you can download all the activities. The images, you got to pay for the cards, but you can create any images you want. You can just grab some of your own photos. You can grab out of magazines, but it gives you an idea of how to use imagery work to engage with your team. Um, there's also a video on there called the Brown Gauze Moment. And then there's some worksheets. Oh yeah, I remember that video. That yeah. was a good video. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So that one basically shows an example of a very stressful moment and how to be mindful through it. And then the worksheets help you to engage with maybe one individual or as a group and helping to talk through that this is normal. And just being able to put the the language of I'm about to have a brown gauze moment is 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 it's like a code word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the video that I mentioned in the upper right-hand corner. There's a section called the One Life Connected Commitment. And if you go into that section, there is that video about 15 minutes that goes over the ocean of shame, the balloons, the sinkers. Um, there's information about the book on there. It's on Amazon. You can also check it out through the Kindle. There's worksheets for the book. So if you read the book and you want to dive into chapter three more, there's a whole worksheet that helps you work awesome. through it. all downloadable. And then I have a coloring book as well, which is also on Amazon, but there's some imageries that you can download for coloring if you want to do that. Um, I mean, it's, it's a huge resource in my mind. It's designed to allow the individual to take it how they want to take it and go the path they want. They don't necessarily need to utilize me, but I encourage if they have questions to utilize me, I yeah. do like coaching. I do group coaching. I can coach teams to help them execute things. Um, in a variety of different ways. So yeah, and when we did our work with the power of 10 recently, we did a day. Well, it was like two half days, I think, right. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really useful. It was it was a small group, but a lot of the exercises that you did with us were stuff that I hadn't done before. And it, it was very um, eye opening and useful. And um, you take it where you want to go with it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's the whole reason why all those resources are there. I'm not here to tell you what to do. What One Life Connected does is create the space that gives people permission to find their unique, sustainable career. It doesn't tell them what to do or how to do it. It gives them more of a framework that then they take what they need and then look for other resources outside to help them find that path for themselves. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. It's it's what works for you because we're all individuals and we all think differently and the, yeah, the and question I, and I is to, to help you figure figure it out of where to go next. Like, what could I do? Yep. Yeah, I go to all these lectures and they were wonderful, but like, I'm like, do I have to be a triathlete to be happy? Like, do I have <laughs> to, you know, meditate for an hour to be happy? Like, I yeah. see what other people are doing and they're wonderful, but that wasn't necessarily for me. Um, so, what does that look like? And that's I think that's it's such a misconception that in order to be healthy and whole, that if you're not a meditator, if you're not a yoga you know, you don't do yoga every day. You don't, that's not necessarily true. And yeah. I think, you know, it's all just different tools, but we have to see what works for us. Absolutely. Well, and I think what you're doing is wonderful too, because you're giving people um, an awareness to where they're at from a perspective of, you know, a practice owner and your transition in your space. There's a lot of people who are transitioning 
from practice owner into like that next stage. And that's a huge resource that they need to have. So yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you being here and um, I'm hoping we'll get together again. Show that puppy again. Yeah, Jack. My dog Trent's down here begging for dinner because it's dinner. I know. I, I see Trent. Hey, Jack. You're so cute. Isn't he adorable? Yeah. Yes, I yeah. know. Frenchie, I know I am that person. But, you know, I mean, I'm ready to deal with. He's already got insurance. So <laughs> you're ready for the medical problems that he's ready for have. issues if they were to come. <laughs> and he's in the right hands now. So you're a responsible owner. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I and, always get the dogs was, that have issues anyway, even yeah, if I yeah. get. And my she dogs was, always have issues. Well, when I talked to my friend, the owner almost felt relieved because she didn't realize what she was getting into and how much work a friend she was and what was going to be involved. And so yeah. when she gave her that opportunity, she kind of took it readily. Like she was like, yeah. I'm okay with this. I'm right. okay. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling like I'm taking advantage of. I, I, I walked into something I did not know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a shame, but you know, he's cute. He's adorable and he's pissing in his crate. Yeah. He's a pee pee boy. Well, I really appreciate you being here on the podcast. I love everything you're doing. I love all your materials. I have, you gave me some when I was at the power. Absolutely. I have a book. I have all of that. So I really enjoy talking to you and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime you need anything, I'm always looking for ways to collaborate. So yeah. So look her up, everyone. Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson. If you haven't heard of her before, she's amazing. And the website is one the number life CT, right? Yep. One life.com. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. If you just put in one life connected, I think pop right out. I'll link it in the show notes so yep. it'll be easy for them to find you. But I really appreciate your time and I loved meeting Jack. So cute, yeah. All right, have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. Bye, Kimberly.